This is a recording of A Comet, Christ's Birth, and Josephus' Lunar Eclipse by Charles Dyke, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Faith and Scholarship, read by Charles Dyke. Abstract. A comet seen by the Chinese in 5 BC has been considered by some authors as a possibility for the Star of Bethlehem. This article starts with that premise and argues that Book of Mormon evidences reinforce that likelihood. The comet path can account for all events surrounding the Star of Bethlehem. Based on typologies in the scriptures, eyewitness reports, and the comet's timing, the date of Christ's birth can be determined. A proposal can then be made as to when and why the wise men began traveling to Jerusalem. The comet left a trail of debris the wise men saw on the night they located the house where Jesus was. The wise men and Joseph and Mary left Judea in mid-June of 5 B.C., and the slaughter of the innocents occurred later in that month. Using Josephus' antiquities, this article then argues strongly that Herod's death occurred sometime after a lunar eclipse on September 15, 5 B.C., and before the next Passover. This serves also to support his death in the spring of 4 B.C., contrary to some scholars who opt for a 1 B.C. death. This study reaffirms the reality of the Star of Bethlehem. A Comet, Christ's Birth, and Josephus' Lunar Eclipse In this paper, I propose that Jesus Christ was born on March of 5 B.C., and that the wise men visited him in mid-June of 5 B.C. This hypothesis hinges on a comet with a tail seen by the Chinese in that month. The claim is that the appearance of the comet marked the day of Christ's birth, and thus is the celestial apparition we refer to as the Star of Bethlehem. The observers of the comet only left us with the month and year of the first observation, the length of time the apparition was seen, and a single celestial position. Others have also considered this comet as a contender for the Star of Bethlehem. Sir Cullen Humphreys, the physicist, proposed that the 5 BC apparition the Chinese saw was a comet that first appeared during the Passover season. He felt that Christ could have been born in the Passover season, and he briefly mentioned that 10 Nisan, the day when Passover lambs were chosen for sacrifice, would be an apropos birth date and would fit with the words and prophecies of John the Baptist and the Apostle John. I agree with much of this view. Humphreys did not address the two necessary positions of the comet, however. We know the apparition was observed for over 70 days, but there is no record showing that it moved to or from its stated locations. Comets must move from a point of first visibility to a point of final visibility. Why are there not two positions? The first we learn of the 5 BC comet is from the history of the former Han dynasty, written by Pan Ku around 100 AD. Reference is from a history, not a book designed as an astronomy text. Ku would not have seen the comet and may have made a scribal error, a possibility that has been considered. The text most commonly copied appears to be from a condominium written in 1254 A.D. by Ma Tuan Lin. This hypothesis proposes that the first position of the comet was lost. 
and the single location in that record is the final position of the comet before it lost visibility. First position is based on scriptural typology and relies on the comets rising heliacally with the sun. Making this change completely reconciles the scriptural information with the second-hand secular report. The Comet of 5 B.C. section of the article will first present a chronology of the events involving the comet I consider the Star of Bethlehem. I will describe the characteristics of a generic comet and describe several possible light sources that might have played a role in the Nephites' Night Without Darkness. Some of these light sources probably did not have a significant presence in that night. The chronological order of events is outlined as follows. March 15, 5 BC, a comet arrives at the sun, unseen by Earth's inhabitants. March 19th, the night without darkness occurs in the locality of the Nephites. March 19th, Christ is born in Bethlehem. In Jerusalem, the lambs are set apart at roughly the same time that Christ is born. Then, on March 20, the wise men see the comet at their sunrise because they have the requisite skills to see it. The comet goes unnoticed in Jerusalem at that sunrise. On March 22nd, the vernal equinox occurs. March 23rd, Passover is celebrated, and a total lunar eclipse occurs at Jerusalem during the meal. Wise men journey to Jerusalem. They can, like the Chinese, observe the comet as they travel. On about April 15th, the comet crosses Earth's orbit while leaving the sun. Sometime after the first week of June, the comet is too far into space to be seen Wise men then meet with Herod in the second week of June. About June 12th, the Earth arrives at the point where the comet had crossed the Earth's orbit eight weeks previously. The wise men can see the comet with its tail and debris field lit by the sun because of the correlation. This will be explained later. The wise men visit the Christ child and deliver the gifts, possibly on June 13. In the middle of June, the wise men head east and Joseph and Mary head to Egypt. About the end of June, Herod begins killing innocents. Shortly after that, Herod captures 40 seditious men who destroyed Herod's golden eagle at the temple gate. The report of these men by Josephus becomes important in the chronology, and it is for this reason that I mention it. The men face trial at roughly the beginning of September and are condemned to death. On September 11th, Yom Kippur in 5 B.C., Herod replaces the high priest for the Day of Atonement. September 15th, which is Akkot, Herod burns the 40 men to death on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Josephus reports that a lunar eclipse occurs on the night the men die. Herod's bad health takes an immediate turn for the worse. He dies before the next Passover. This ends the chronology. Comet Basics. The nucleus of a comet is a conglomeration of rock, dust, and ice. This ice can be a lot of different materials. Water, hydrogen cyanide, formaldehyde, or a host of other compounds. As a comet approaches the sun, these ices turn to gas. Because the gas is blown away from the comet by the solar wind, the tail always points towards the sun. At the same time, an environment of gas and dust forms around the nucleus. 
It is called the coma. This is the orb that observers see in space. The coma can be massively larger than the nucleus, and its size is dependent on the location and the composition of the comet. Besides expelling gases, the comet also kicks off dust and rock. The dust tail is usually the most visible component of the comet because of its size. The very lightest dust is affected by the solar wind. The heavier pebbles, rocks, and boulders are not as impacted by the wind. These fall behind the nucleus in a train. At times, this train is visible and is called an anti-tail because it tends to point in the opposite direction of the tail. The claim about the path of the 5 BC comet is that it departed the sun at roughly a 4.5 degree angle to the ecliptic, heading for a destination near the star Algeti. Algeti is a rather small to average double star, but its location is useful as a general target for the comet. We can only determine the exact location where the comet was last seen within a 10 degree circle. The center of that circle is at minus 19 degrees declination, and Algeti is near minus 16.5 degrees. A sun grazer. On about February 15, 5 BC, the comet crossed Earth's orbit heading towards the sun. By March 15, the comet was behind the sun. It had approached the sun from a direction such that it remained undetected by people on Earth. The comet was a sun grazer, passing within about 10 sun radii at its perihelion, and perhaps it was much closer. It was also prograde, meaning it orbited the sun in the same direction as most of the planets. Sun grazers become more fragile than other comets because of the strong gravitational field gradients, exacerbated by their incredibly high velocities and extreme temperatures they pass through when circling the sun. As is common for sun grazers, I propose that the 5 BC comet left significant debris in its path after perihelion. To match the description in the scriptures, the comet may have been immense, possibly much larger than Halley's Comet, which has a radius of 10 kilometers, which is typical of a great comet. These sun grazers can be much brighter as they depart from the sun than they are on their approach. Outgassing from the comet during and after its encounter with the sun makes the coma grow. This would have made the comet visible in the daytime. New comets, and this may be one, can be exceptionally bright because they have never gone through degassing before. For the purposes of this investigation, the comet was somewhat brighter than Venus. The average individual would not have been able to see the comet when it was close to the sun. Several comets through history have been visible with the naked eye as close as 5 degrees from the sun. I do not claim that the 5 BC comet was one of these. I believe it could have been seen only by astronomers on March 25 BC in the Americas, and then later by the wise men. At this time, the comet would have been closer than 5 degrees from the sun. The comet might not have been seen for a few days after that by the average individual, but it would have been seen. A sun grazer coming from the general direction of Algeti and returning towards Algeti will allow all the constraints imposed on the comet movement to be met. By definition, sun grazers must be the fastest moving comets simply so that they can escape the sun's gravity. This comet was traveling at 300 kilometers per second at perihelion, perhaps faster. For a comparison, Comet Lovejoy in 2011 produced a speed of 565 kilometers per second at perihelion.
Also, the great September Comet of 1882 followed a characteristically similar path in that it nearly avoided being spotted as it approached the sun. It then became bright enough to be seen in the daytime and remained visible with the naked eye for four months after perihelion. The 5 BC comet was only observed for two and a half months. Light Sources Four natural light sources could impact the night without darkness. Zodiacalite, Geigenschein, Aurorae, and meteors. A comet passing between the Earth and Sun could supply materials that would greatly increase the illumination of Earth. My conclusion is that meteors, at best, had a small role in the night without darkness. The zodiacal light. Zodiacal light is due to forward scattering from the interplanetary dust between the Sun and the Earth. The zodiacal light is so named because its center is on the ecliptic, where the zodiac constellations are. In the spring, the zodiacal light appears as a false dusk. In the fall, it is more typically seen as a false dawn. On the evening of the night without darkness, the space between the sun and the earth was inundated with dust and gases from the comet, thus producing something resembling the zodiacal light, but far brighter the primary commonality being that the light is forward scattered. First we see the dust between the sun and earth, and later the dust will move beyond the earth to play a major role in keeping the night as bright as day. The Gegenschein The Gegenschein, countershine, is similar to zodiacal light except that its light is due to backscattering to the earth by interplanetary dust that is beyond the earth. The dust tail could have added to the interplanetary dust, thereby increasing the luminosity of the Gegenschein. This additional light is always opposite the sun, the antisolar point. Under normal circumstances, interplanetary dust is sparse, and the individual dust particles are trapped where the solar wind suspends them from falling into the sun. This precise mechanism would not play a significant role. A similar occurrence would. Once the tail of the 5 BC comet passed beyond the Earth, the backscattering from the much larger and denser particles and gases would be responsible for the night without darkness. On the night of May 19 to 20 in 1910, the Earth passed through the gas tail of Halley's Comet. The dust tail missed the Earth by about 385,000 kilometers, the average distance to the moon. Astronomers have determined that the comet has gone around the sun perhaps 3,500 times in its history. David Eicher, in his book, Comets, Visitors from Deep Space, writes, If the Earth really did pass through the comet's tail, would a supertail glow spanning 360 degrees be visible? Amazingly, a passenger on a ship in the Mediterranean Sea claimed to have seen a large faint glow like the Gegenschein, some 45 degrees high and 60 degrees wide, with a pillar of light at its center. The 5 BC comet would have such a supertail, but this article proposes that the coma of the 5 BC comet was stripped from the nucleus and driven directly across the Earth. One challenge this hypothesis faces is demonstrating that the light sources discussed could have produced enough light to cause a night without darkness. The unique situation with the comet tail on that night could have created a situation where there was a million times more dust in the vicinity of the Earth than is normal. This would impact the brightness of the zodiacal light and gegenschein by six orders of magnitude.
and aurora. Aurorae are natural lights in the sky caused by disturbances in the Earth's magnetosphere, which are caused by the solar wind. The lights are caused by ionization of charged particles that rain into the upper atmosphere from the magnetosphere. Usually these lights are seen near the Earth's polar regions. Aurora borealis near the North Pole and Aurora australis near the South Pole. Aurorae rarely reach the lower latitudes and they are not normally capable of generating the brightness of the light Nephi witnessed. On the night without darkness, the comet tail would add its own charged particles, which would intensify an aurora and allow it to appear at lower latitudes. The aurora could have produced some of the great lights in heaven, as mentioned in Helaman 14.3. The Carrington event, likely caused by a coronal mass ejection in 1859, produced aurorae as far south as the Caribbean. Coronal mass ejection. A coronal mass ejection while not a light source, can play a role in producing light on Earth. Wikipedia states, A coronal mass ejection, CME, is a significant release of plasma and accompanying magnetic field from the sun's corona into the solar wind. CMEs are often associated with solar flares and other forms of solar activity, but a broadly accepted theoretical understanding of these relationships has not been established. When the ejection is directed towards Earth and reaches it as an interplanetary CME, an ICME, the shock wave of traveling mass causes a geomagnetic storm that may disrupt Earth's magnetosphere, compressing it on the day side and extending the night side magnetic tail. The solar storm would cause a disruption in the sun's magnetic field and in turn cause the Earth's magnetic field to buckle. This we observe as both radio interference and aurorae, northern and southern lights. Scientists are not willing to state that comets passing by or falling into the sun can trigger a CME. Sometimes the sun's photosphere will erupt violently when a comet is present, while at other times nothing happens. The 5 BC sun grazing comet passing in front of the sun and the CME could have occurred simultaneously. The Earth engulfed by the CMA wave would be ringed by the aurorae and from space would appear to shine. We could have a CME wave working in concert with the comet tail on the night of March 19 to brighten the sky. The CME, traveling at four or five times the solar wind, would flatten the coma around its wave front. CMEs traveling faster than the background solar wind speed can generate a shock wave. These shock waves can accelerate charged particles ahead of them, causing increased radiation storm potential or intensity. The CME traveling much faster than the comet itself could effectively drive the comma ahead of the shock wave. If the CME hit the Earth directly on, then one would expect a thick wall of dust to appear beyond the Earth for some time. This would light up the whole night sky until the CME and solar winds drove the dust deeper into space. Beginning at sunset on March 18 for the Nephites, a greatly enhanced false dusk zodiacal light caused by forward scattering would be manifest. A diffuse pillar would appear along the ecliptic. Later, backscattering would add to the light in the western sky. Perhaps in the east, the horizon would be dark. As the night moved on, the collimation would improve to the point that, at midnight, the source of the reflected light might appear as a narrow pillar of light. 
At this point, though, the total luminescence of the sky would rival the sun. The pillar could have been running from the eastern to the western horizon because of the density of the wall of dust. After that, the pillar would begin to diffuse until sunrise. The lighting would be similar to the lighting at the previous sunset. On the luminosity, 3rd Nephi 119 states that there was no darkness in all that night, but it was as light as though it was midday. A wall of interplanetary dust delivered by the comet's tail and the CME plasma is sufficient to keep an area of the Earth bright enough to validate the night without darkness statement. Given what we have here, I can find no solution to the night without darkness other than the massive dust, plasma, and gases provided by the comet and the CME. Further, at the lower end of the numbers given, there could have been a pillar of light as thin as perhaps three or four degrees in the sky in the late night hours running in an east-west direction along the ecliptic and passing nearly overhead. The sky would be blue, but the light would be diffused, so there would be almost no shadows on the ground. The lack of shadows likely would have made the night appear deceptively bright. The Chronology on the Ground in the Western Hemisphere, the sun set on the evening of March 18, but the sky did not darken all night long. After a night without darkness, if the comet appeared to emerge from the sun, then the first observers, astronomers, might see an odd bulge in the sun as it rose. Nephi only indicates that the new star appeared. The star might have become visible to him that day as it moved further from the sun or later. On this Jerusalem afternoon, morning for Nephi, a child would be born in Bethlehem. The paschal lambs were being set apart. This day was the tenth day of Aviv, now called Nisan, on the Jewish calendar. This year, that day fell on March 19, 5 BC. There is a possibility that the shepherds at the birth of Christ saw a massive false dusk because of the unusual amount of dust between the earth and the sun. Luke 2.9 states, in the same context, that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The term, glory of the Lord, always indicates that light is present. Several hours after the Nephite sunrise, maybe about 14 hours, the initial location is unknown, the wise men watched the sun rise in the east with the comet's coma some three or four degrees to the south of the sun. The coma might have had a line that seemed connected to the sun. This would be the glowing debris field dutifully following the comet, the anti-tail. The comet, with its coma shining, looked like a new sun being born. The glowing line would be reminiscent of an umbilical cord. The tail would also likely be visible to observers using the astronomer's tool. The wise men saw that comet for the first time on the morning after the Jews set apart the Paschal Lambs for the Feast of the Passover. I believe the wise men, like Nephi, were well acquainted with scriptures and prophecies concerning the birth of the King of the Jews. As importantly, they were competent astronomers who knew through prophecy to expect the comet to manifest itself as a birth. Armed with this knowledge, they would have looked toward the sun through an astronomer's tool, a piece of smoke glass or obsidian, just like multitudes of Americans did on August 21, 2017, when viewing a total solar eclipse, and were able to discern the comet moving beyond the sun. 
This might mean that the wise men saw the 5 BC comet several days earlier than the Jews, who would not have been looking for it. Obsidian glass disks were available in the Middle East at least from the 7th century BC. If this was a common astronomical tool, then we must assume that the wise men had that tool available to them when they saw the star of Bethlehem rising in the east for the first time. Comets travel. From the perspective of people on Earth, while the comet was separated from the sun by three degrees, it was roughly 14 hours beyond the point where it completed the transit of the sun. That is the location the wise men would have seen it. At 16 degrees from the sun, four days later, I suspect Herod's astronomers would have spotted the comet. Curiously, this would be close to the Passover meal night. 26 days from the spotting by the wise men, the comet crossed the Earth's orbit. If my assumptions are correct, the 5 BC comet would have been brighter than Venus, but far from the brightest of the great comets, some of which have been seen with the naked eye within 5 degrees of the sun. After about 78 days from first being spotted by the wise men, and having traveled 300 million kilometers, the comet disappeared. For discussion purposes, the Chinese and the wise men lost track of the comet when it was directly on the same right ascension as Algeti. This was the last the Chinese saw of the comet. The wise men saw it a few days later. When the comet disappeared and then reappeared briefly later in an area anticipated by the wise men, they could confidently claim it was the star that they saw in the east and had watched for close to 80 days. The comet would be expected to be about 7 degrees to the right of al after 7 days. Then, in the night hours of June 12, 13, in the same spot that the comet crossed Earth's orbit on April 15, the wise men looked towards al and saw their comet reappear. Earth passes within 12 million kilometers of the path on that night. The wise men may have seen faint traces in the evening as the comet began to become more visible, or they may have noticed the brightening later. At 5.30 in the morning, the sky is beginning to brighten. The comet is setting. The comet must have reached an apparent magnitude of minus one or so as it was setting in the southwest. Because the wise men knew where to look, and because the angular separation of the sun and the comet is roughly 140 degrees, seeing the comet would be easy. The comet was never far from visibility before its brief reappearance. As the angle of approach shrinks to zero degrees, the visual image increases because more of the tail material aligns along the visual axis, causing the area around the comet to become denser and causing more light to be reflected to Earth. In our case, as the Earth passes under the trail, the size of the apparition grows to the point of visibility. Because the 5 BC comet was likely a first-time visitor and a sun grazer, one would expect it to have a long and large tail. Under the right circumstances, this brief reappearance of a comet that seems to stand over a specific point is a given. Someone in Tehran or Rome could have seen the comet brighten in the pre-dawn hours if they had been looking in the general direction of al -Gedi. It would hold no meaning for them. Once the Earth had passed under the comet trail, the comet brightness would begin decreasing at the rate that it had earlier increased. A similar event occurred with Holmes' comet. Wikipedia reports that although large telescopes had already shown fine-scale cometary details, naked-eye observers saw Holmes as merely star-like until October 26, 2007. 
After that date, 17P slash homes began to appear more comet-like to naked eye observers. This is because during the comet's outburst, its orbit took it to near opposition with respect to Earth. And because comet tails point away from the sun, Earth observers were looking nearly straight down along the tail of 17P slash homes making the comet appear as a bright sphere. I am claiming the same orientation for the 5 BC comet as Holmes. Historical record mingled with scripture. Numerous scriptures deal with the birth of Jesus. In the following sections, I examine these scriptures and discuss them relative to the historical record. Samuel's prophecy of Christ's birth. Roughly five years before Christ was born, a prophet named Samuel appeared on a wall of a city in the Americas and castigated the inhabitants for their unrighteousness. On that day, Samuel prophesied the birth of the Son of God. And behold, he said unto them, Behold, I give unto you a sign, for five years more cometh. And behold, then cometh the Son of God to redeem all those who shall believe in his name. And behold, this will I give unto you for a sign at the time of his coming. For behold, there shall be great lights in heaven, insomuch that in the night before he cometh there shall be no darkness, insomuch that it shall appear unto man as if it was day. Therefore there shall be one day and a night and a day as if it were one day, and there shall be no night. And this shall be unto you for a sign, for ye shall know of the rising of the sun and also of its setting. Therefore, they shall know of a surety that there shall be two days and a night. Nevertheless, the night shall not be darkened, and it shall be the night before he is born. And behold, there shall be a new star arise, such an one as ye never have beheld. And this also shall be a sign unto you. Helaman 14, 2-5 People around the world saw Halley's Comet in September of 12 B.C., this was a short seven years before the star appeared, and less than two years before Samuel prophesied that there shall be a new star arise, such as one as you never have beheld. This new star was to be far different than Halley's Comet. Part of the difference would be the timing of the appearance of the star, the comet appearing to exit the sun and being bright enough to be seen in the daylight. The initial sighting of the 5 BC comet may have been when its coma was at its largest. Halley's comet would have first appeared dimly in the night sky and grown larger as it approached the earth. And it came to pass that the words which came unto Nephi were fulfilled, according as they had been spoken. For behold, at the going down of the sun there was no darkness, and the people began to be astonished because there was no darkness when the night came. For they knew that the prophets had testified of these things for many years, and that the sign which had been given was already at hand. And they began to fear because of their iniquity and their unbelief. And it came to pass that there was no darkness in all that night, but it was as light as though it was midday. And it came to pass that the sun did rise in the morning again, according to its proper order. And they knew that it was the day that the Lord should be born, because of the sign which had been given. And it had come to pass, yea, all things, every whit, according to the words of the prophets. 3 Nephi 1, 15, 18-20 Nephi makes a simple statement regarding the star. And it came to pass also, 
that a new star did appear, according to the word. The statement allows the Nephites to first observe the star in the daytime, immediately following the night without darkness. If the statement is taken at face value, the Nephites may have seen the star before the Jews in Jerusalem saw it, but that is uncertain. However, if the wise men saw the comet rising heliacally, then when the Nephites saw the sun rising, the comet would also be rising. The consensus among scholars is that Herod the Great's death occurred early in 4 BC. While this dating is not uncontested, it will be used here. This article lends some technical support for the timing of Herod's death in 4 BC. Given that Herod died in 4 BC and the comet appeared in the spring of 5 BC, Christ would have been born near Passover in 5 BC. Colin Humphreys thinks that Christ might have been born on the day the lambs were set apart and that the Passover that year was in April. I think that Humphreys missed the Passover by one lunar cycle and Christ was born on March 19, 5 BC. The Passover meal that year was eaten in the late evening on March 23rd. Arguments from John the Baptist, from Nephi the son of Lehi, in the Book of Mormon, from Nephi the son of Nephi, and from Ezekiel in the Old Testament, support the date of March 19, 5 BC. Some members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have considered April 6th, 1 BC as a birth date, because this is the date that the Church was organized. Doctrine and Covenants 20, verse 1 states that this was 1830 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. Scholars in the church generally agree that the statement on the date of the founding of the church is not intended as a prophetic statement about the date of Christ's birth. The Book of Mormon appears to support the position that Christ was born shortly after the commencement of the 92nd year in the reign of the judges. 3 Nephi 1-4, and in the Passover season. That places his birth in the spring, but does not confirm the April 6th date. Lamb of God and Passover. John the Baptist was the individual that applied the label Lamb of God to his cousin Jesus in the New Testament. John 1-29. What scant evidence we have implies that the Baptist knew the birth date of Christ and used that to propose that Jesus was the Lamb. The Baptist must have been familiar with a tradition that has since been lost. In the Book of Mormon, Nephi used the term Lamb of God 600 years before the birth of Christ. This was before his brother Jacob learned the term Christ. The primary role of the Lamb of God is to be sacrificed in the temple, but there are chronological aspects to this title. The Lamb will be born in the spring, it must be set apart four days before being sacrificed. It must be the meat course at the paschal meal. It must also be part of the flock of the slaughter, Zechariah 11.4, the flock destined for the temple. The Book of Mormon states that by the Nephite calendar, and this would be a liturgical calendar, Christ was born four days before the Nephite Passover meal. Now it came to pass that there was a day set apart by the unbelievers, that all those who believed in those traditions should be put to death, except the signs should come to pass, which had been given by Samuel the prophet. 3 Nephi 1.9 I propose that Nephi use the term set apart purposely. As an eyewitness, Nephi knew from earlier prophets the birthday of Christ. Probably these prophets had testified that Christ would be born at the setting apart of the lambs. 
I think the unbelievers also knew this and saw a particular fitting bitter irony in making that the day when the believers would be destroyed. The Nephites tracked the seasons in a manner probably similar to the Jews. That is, the Nephites studied the solstices and equinoxes. Their Passover was also eaten on the first full moon after the vernal equinox. The Nephite priests tracked the heavens to time the holy days. But observe what happened after Christ was born. Their calendar was changed, and the beginning of the new year moved. The only rational date for the new year would be the day Christ was born. With a shift of ten days from the old calendar, Christ had to die on the fourth day of the first month of the year in the new calendar. So states the Book of Mormon, 3 Nephi 8.5. We can state with certainty that this date was near or on a full moon immediately following the vernal equinox. And it came to pass in the thirty and fourth year, in the first month, on the fourth day of the month, there arose a great storm, such an one as never had been known in all the land. 3 Nephi 8.5 This storm marked the death of Christ. He was born four days and thirty-three Nephi years earlier. Based on typology, this is further evidence that Christ was born on the day that the lambs were set apart before the Passover in the spring of 5 B.C. In other words, he was born on what would have been the tenth day of the month of Aviv. The lamb in Exodus 12.3 serves as a type. In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Verse 6 continues, And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. A challenge can be made that the actual Passover dates in Jerusalem were known to occasionally violate the standard rules of the law of Moses. If the Jews' Passover would have been wrong for any reason, then the righteous Nephites' lives were in jeopardy. 3 Nephi one nine, The correct alignment between the Jews and the Nephites is most logically determined to be when both parties met the Law of Moses standard. The Bright and Morning Star As stated, my hypothesis depends on the first position of the comet rising with the sun as witnessed by the wise men, and the Chinese position being where the comet was last seen. The expectations of the first century Israelites must be met and account for typology and prophecy. If, for instance, Christ is the Paschal Lamb, then they would expect his birth and death to be tied to the lambs of the slaughter. Jesus dying on the cross while the lambs were being sacrificed in the temple is perhaps the most common type, and we see that in all four Gospels. The wise men claim they saw the star rising heliacally. Matthew 2, 2. David Hughes states, the term in the East originally was written en te anatoli, a Greek singular form, whereas the East is usually written in Greek plural form. The Greek singular form has a special astronomical significance, indicating the earliest visible rising of a star at daybreak, the heliacal rising. And so Matthew 2.2 should read, for we have seen his star appear in the first rays of dawn. We see here that the wise men saw the star rising. Samuel prophesied something similar. There shall be a new star arise. Helaman 14.5
it would appear to those watching as if the sun had birthed the comet. Typologically, we could equate this to the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star of Revelation 22.16. Germanus I of Constantinople, in expounding on the birth of Christ, quoted his version of Psalms 110.3, Out of the womb before the morning star I have begotten you. This scripture is significantly different than present-day translations. Nevertheless, it ties the birth of Christ to the morning star. If the wise men had this passage available to them, they would be looking for a morning star to mark the birth of the Messiah. Peter calls him the day star, 2 Peter 1.19. Luke calls him the day spring, Luke 1.78. What we are looking for, then, is a star that first appears in the morning. Malachi 4.2 calls him the son of righteousness. Christ is both the lamb and the morning star. What the wise men saw. Raymond Brown offers three possible locations for the home of the wise men. Parthia or Persia, Babylon, and Arabia or the Syrian desert. He comments, While the thesis that the Magi came from Persia became the dominant view among the church fathers, the thesis that they came from Arabia is the earliest attested view. I favor the earliest view because there were Jewish colonies in Arabia, and gold, frankincense, and myrrh moved along trade routes in that region. What we can surmise is that the wise men were very interested in the king of the Jews. They possibly knew somewhat different scriptures than the disciples had, and they were competent astronomers. I note here that their use of the term king of the Jews implies that they were not of the tribe of Judah, but that does not mean they were not Israelites. The wise men expected a star to mark the birth based on a vision of Balaam. Numbers 24:17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not nigh. A star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The reference to a scepter both indicated a ruler and effectively described the tale of certain comets by the ancient astronomers, and so it appears that Balaam may have seen the comet. Expecting to see a sign on the day that the Messiah was to be born, the wise men looked to the sunrise on March 20, 5 B.C., saw a comet emerging from the sun, and recognized that the Messiah had been born the previous evening. As the wise men traveled toward Jerusalem, the comet rose earlier each day. It left the inner solar system, crossing the Earth's orbital path at the place where the Earth would be in June. By mid-May, the comet could be observed rising around 11 p.m. and drawing closer to the constellation Copernicus and the star Algeti as it moved away from the sun. Near mid-June, 70-plus days after its first spotting by the Chinese, it could no longer be seen. But the astronomers knew its direction of travel and apparent speed, and when it disappeared, it was in the vicinity of Algeti. The Vernal Equinox The first full moon, the Passover moon, occurred one day after the Vernal Equinox that year. The equinox occurred on March 22nd. Therefore, Christ was born on March 19. 5 BC. We also infer from the angels visiting the shepherds at night that Christ was born in the afternoon or early evening in Bethlehem. The eight or nine hour time difference between the Americas and Jerusalem indicates that from an American perspective, Christ was born in the morning. Nephi's eyewitness statement allows this to be correct. A remarkable event took place that Passover evening. 
The moon over Jerusalem rose in eclipse. This total eclipse on March 23rd lasted for 102 minutes, and the partial lasted for 222 minutes. This virtually perfect total eclipse was an auspicious sight on the night of Passover. Perhaps the next morning, the average Israelite became aware of a comet with a tail rising just before sunrise. Wherever they started from, the wise men were not under time constraints. They probably arrived at Jerusalem in early June and met with Herod for the last time near the 12th of June. In audience with Herod, the wise men asked, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to visit him. Matthew 2.2 Herod was surely aware of the comet. What neither he nor his scribes and priests were aware of was when the comet first appeared. Not knowing that prevented them from drawing any significant conclusions. Herod must have had some suspicion as to when the birth star of the king of the Jews should appear because, in private, he inquired diligently about the timing. Matthew 2.7 If the word got out as to the time these astronomers first saw the star, the result could be an insurrection. Herod recognized the religious implications and made plans to destroy the child. Typology based on the law of Moses suggests that the Messiah would be born when the lambs were chosen as the paschal sacrifices. A child born on the tenth day of the Jewish year, the day set apart for choosing the sacrifices, could be recognized as the Lamb of God. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Matthew 2, 9-10 The wise men had not seen the comet for nearly a week. On that night, the earth traveled under the track of the long-departed comet. Humphreys states, Phrases such as stood over and hung over appear to be uniquely applied in ancient literature to describe a comet, and I can find no record of such phrases being used to describe any other astronomical object. Having departed Jerusalem, the men and their entourage camped by the road that led southwest to Bethlehem. Perhaps in the late evening they observed a star-like object beginning to brighten two and a half degrees below Algeti. At about 3.30 a.m. local, Algeti was in view in the southwest and dropping toward the horizon. The star they had seen in the east grew brighter as it settled lower, saying that the star which they saw in the east went before them is apropos. But what caused this apparition? On about June 12, the earth was about to cross the path of the comet as it was leaving the inner solar system. By 5.30 a.m., the comet became a relatively bright ball over a house as the wise men looked towards Bethlehem. It came and stood over where the young child was. They were looking down the barrel of the debris field. The wise men visited the child immediately after the sighting of the apparition and could have arrived at the house essentially at daybreak. Herod would have expected the wise men to take a couple of days to find the Christ child. Instead, they found him at their first opportunity to search. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Matthew 2.12 Then Joseph had a dream. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Matthew 2.14 it is doubtful that a lone man with a wife and infant could travel to Egypt unaccompanied. 
Joseph and Mary most likely immediately joined a caravan. They left Bethlehem probably within hours of the wise men's departure. Because of the generosity of the wise men, Joseph and Mary had the financial means to flee into Egypt. The September Lunar Eclipse and Herod's Death Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Matthew 2.16 According to Josephus, Herod had another problem on his hands. Sedition this sedition occurred possibly weeks before an eclipse of the moon late on September 15, 5 B.C. It was his response to this that buried the story of the slaughter of the innocents. Briefly, Herod had taken upon himself to create a golden eagle to be placed over the great gate of the temple. This image was a violation of the law of Moses and profaned the temple. Moreover, the eagle was a despised symbol of their Roman masters. Some outraged Jews decided to destroy the eagle, and so they did. But no less than 40 of these men, including the leaders, refused to retreat as Herod's soldiers approached and were captured on that day. These men were moved to Jericho. Then important Jews were called to Jericho to observe the trial. The seditionists were sentenced to death. As a further punishment to the Jews, Josephus states, now it happened that during the time of the high priesthood of this Matthias, there was another person made high priest for a single day, that very day which the Jews observed as a fast. Josephus was writing a history for non-Jews. His description lacks details that would be foreign to his audience. The Passover was eaten on March 23rd. Based on that day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, would fall on September 11. Yom Kippur is the most solemn day of the year for Jews and is a fast day. This is the date that the high priest was substituted. No other day would serve as a meaningful punishment. He points out that Herod deprived this Matthias of the priesthood. Replacing the high priest on Yom Kippur was the greatest affront to the Jews that Herod could arrange. Herod was not finished offending the Jews. He chose to burn the 40 men to death on September 15th. This is the first day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. That night, there was a total lunar eclipse over Jerusalem. Totality lasted for 99 minutes, virtually identical to the eclipse during the Passover meal, but two hours later. Because of the feast, there was a large audience to observe the eclipse. Josephus then states, But now Herod's distemper increased upon him after a severe manner, and this by God's judgment upon him for his sins. Herod's death could have occurred any time after September of 5 B.C. until the next Passover. Conclusion At one time, the Israelites understood typological constructs to be manifest literally. Christ, as the Lamb, follows the rules applied to the flock of the slaughter. He is the morning star, and therefore a star must appear in the morning. He is the firstborn, so he must be the firstborn lamb, and so forth. The Book of Mormon has very little typology relative to the Bible. However, it has the technical information that directs us to the biblical typology. The Chinese provided one location for the comet. This location allows the comet to approach the sun without being seen from the earth, in order to meet the morning star typology. At the same time, this comet could account for the night without darkness, 
and the appearance of the star on the day of the birth of Christ. A comet seen by multiple groups around the world in 5 BC directs us to a single month for the nativity. Then Jewish rituals direct us to the specific day of the year. This particular day validates the firstborn typology, leading to evidence that the wise men saw a comet rising heliacally in the east. The vernal equinox occurred three days after the appearance of the comet. At the Passover meal following the vernal equinox, the moon rose in total eclipse over Jerusalem. The wise men saw the comet for over 70 days based on Chinese records and interpreted it as a sign that the king of the Jews had been born. They watched the apparition travel toward a particular spot in the sky. They then saw something during one dawn near that particular spot that directed them to a specific dwelling. The comet was in a precise location at its setting to fulfill all of the prophecies concerning the star of Bethlehem. The comet's movement, along with typology, places Christ's birth on March 19, 5 B.C., and the wise men's visit at approximately June 13, 5 B.C. The proposed chronology and mechanisms appear to work well for the birth of Christ, the travel time of the wise men, their finding the Christ child, and the flight to Egypt of Joseph and Mary, followed by the events around the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the eclipse mentioned by Josephus. Perhaps because of the other political outrages of Herod, the slaughter of the innocents was lost to secular history, only being recorded biblically. What has been shown in this article is that a single comet in a fairly precise orientation and trajectory could have accounted for all the events associated in any way with the star of Bethlehem. With many scholars doubting the reality of the appearance of the star, the Book of Mormon presents a critical piece of evidence, the night without darkness, that may be the key to resolving all of the star of Bethlehem issues. This has been a recording of a Comet, Christ's Birth, and Josephus' Lunar Eclipse by Charles Dyke, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 52, 2022, read by Charles Dyke. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.